Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. More calls for the provincial government to solve the staffing crisis at Ontario hospitals. Will rising tensions between the U.S. and China impact Canada? Ultra-processed foods may contribute to your overall cognitive decline. We'll tell you why some Hamilton athletes are going to England. There's a new weekday talk show on 900 CHML and the Ticats fall to the Argos. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, it is the number one topic in our province right now. As indication by today's Twitter poll question at AM 900 CHML, as MPPs head back to work at Queen's Park, which should the top priority be of this new session of the legislature? 70.5%. An overwhelming majority say the hospital staffing crisis is and should be priority number one for MPPs. Will it be? What will be done? That's the question. Because as we know, healthcare unions in this province are calling on the Ford government to take immediate action to solve this crisis. People in hospitals, in the healthcare industry saying, Ford government, please do something. Including our next guest, DJ Sanderson, is a registered nurse and regional vice president with the Ontario Nurses Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. DJ, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, we're hearing a story that Hamilton Health Sciences, and I'm sure this might be happening in other areas of the province, paying nurses double their regular wage if they work outside their regular shifts. Your reaction to that? Well, I think it's uh, symptomatic of some of the bigger problems that because uh, the healthcare staffing uh, concerns have been ignored for so long by this government and governments before, uh, it's left hospitals with little to no choice but to uh, offer uh, incentives uh, on the shift, like on a shift for shift basis, in hopes of getting people into work and at the bedside. Uh, the number of people and uh, registered nurses, respiratory therapists, right across the healthcare spectrum that we've lost because of Bill 124 is staggering. So I think hospitals are really kind of scrambling in hopes to get the help, the right care provider at the bedside to look after the patients. Uh, are you in a Hamilton hospital or somewhere else in the province? And are you seeing the same thing? Well, my home base is actually South Lake Regional Health Centre in Newmarket. I'm an emergency registered nurse there, and they're offering the same incentives as well as a number of other GTA hospitals uh, across the province. They've been left with no choice but to um, do whatever they can to get people in, uh, either trying to pull them back in as casual or part-time staff or in hopes that they'll uh, cancel a vacation day. It's kind of all hands on deck right now, just trying to provide the basic care that Ontarians deserve. So what are you nurses talking about when you're on, you know, you're, you're on your level of the hospital, you know that this crisis is, uh, has a firm grip on the industry and has really um, left us in a crisis situation. What's the talk on the floor like? Well, the talk on the floor is, is, uh, is, is heart wrenching. It's quite saddening. Uh, I've talked to nurses uh, that are just joining our profession, maybe one, two, three years, uh, all the way up to 20, 25 years of experience, and they are beaten. They are just ground down into bits. Uh, the fatigue, the stress, uh, not just what's left over from the COVID or what they're still enduring in some facilities uh, with COVID numbers, but this has been uh, the Death by a thousand cuts. We've been trying to raise this alarm with government for years and years that the nursing shortage is here. It's only getting worse. We now see it on a national and global uh, scale. But uh, the despair that you hear from the colleagues, so many people saying, I just can't do this anymore, uh, breaking down into tears. 
they're just at their the end of the rope. Uh, I, I don't know where we're going to be months from now without action very quickly and uh, like concrete plans that laid out by this government. I don't know where we're going to be in a couple of months. DJ Sanderson is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. DJ is a registered nurse and regional vice president with the Ontario Nurses Association. The scenario you've just outlined here is really, at the end of the day, simply not sustainable. How much longer can nurses or are nurses willing to hang in there? Well, that's the problem that some nurses have already not been willing to hang in there anymore. Uh, we are leaving. We are seeing numbers leave the profession or leave their jobs in droves uh, because of the stress, the fatigue, and of course from Bill One Twenty Four. But the reason this isn't sustainable is that as that RN pool gets shorter, uh, the number of people that are assigned some of these tasks, the less skilled workers and less prepared workers to deal with critical care cases, emergency cases. I saw one hospital. Uh, they just issued a memo on Friday that there's no respiratory therapist coverage. These are the type of skilled people we depend on to be part of the team, to do the work. And when these folks just vanish and there's no one to um, pick up the slack, it's really uh, it's really a hard go. The, the stress, I don't know where we're going to be in a couple of months if the government doesn't start rolling out a plan in the next couple of days. What's the mindset like when you're getting out of bed, you're getting ready to go to work, you're heading into the hospital. I mean, you must have a million emotions and thoughts rolling around the cranium. Well, I can tell you, I've had a number of conversations uh, with our members that they're in their car in the parking lot waiting to go into a shift or they've just left the shift. And uh, the anxiety, the apprehension about going in to see what are we going to be faced with today? Because it's not necessarily just the closures that we hear about that seem to grab a lot of the headlines. It's the silent closures that a, a department that would normally run with 15 or maybe 20 RNs to carry the workload of the day, now working four, five, maybe six RNs short. The stress that that puts on the nurses trying to provide the same level of care to patients with half the resources, it's gut-wrenching. It's honestly gut-wrenching. And the, the cases of PTSD and the lack of supports out there for mental health coverage or WSIB assistance uh, is really taking a toll on a number of our members. I can imagine. DJ, thank you for your time today. Thank you for being a true pandemic hero. And uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, all you nurses and uh, healthcare professionals at this time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. That's DJ Sanderson, registered nurse and regional VP with the Ontario Nurses Association. Government has to step up, must do something concrete and now. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is certainly some pressure going on in and around China and Taiwan because tensions between the Chinese and officials in the U.S., namely the White House, have escalated to a great degree. This after U.S. House Leader Nancy Pelosi decided to take a trip to Taiwan. Communist government did not like that. Their reaction to Pelosi's trip has been downright hostile, including the firing of precision missiles into the surrounding waters, uh, Chinese warplanes buzzing around the sky in that area of the world. Tensions are, they're high in that area. So what could possibly happen? Is China focusing on a takeover of Taiwan? How will the U.S. respond? They have a certain uh, pledge with the Taiwanese that we'll get into in a matter of minutes. And what impact, if any, is this having on Canada. Paul Hamilton is an associate professor of political science at Brock University and joins us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Paul. How are you? 
Good morning. Uh, thank you. How are you? I'm good. China has, as we know, cut off contact with the United States. What does this mean and how worrisome is it? Well, it means that this is one of the worst crises in America's most important bilateral relationship. Um, it means that the sort of uh, not-so-public communications between the two states are sort of frozen. Uh, cooperation on things like climate change um, and other policy areas is more or less stopped um, for the time being. <clears throat> it also adds to the practical dangers. There are a lot of planes and, and ships um, in and around Taiwan, including ones from the U.S. and other countries. And that uh, the, the, the absence of communication means the chances of some kind of unhappy accident um, are enhanced. Taiwan has put its military on alert. By extension, has the U.S. done the same, at least in that area of the world? They sent the uh, USS Ronald Reagan down there um, to sort of uh, signal um, their, you know, intentions in the in the region. Um, this has been a point of contention between China and the U.S. Of course, in July, China declared that the Taiwan Strait that they had that China had sovereignty over that body of water. Um, so this is an ongoing problem, that uh, tension that's been going on for many years. I wouldn't say the U.S. is on alert any more than usual, but certainly they've got a close eye on what's happening. Why allow Ms. Pelosi to make this trip? I'm sure the White House knew about it. Would they and should they have stopped that? Well, they did try. The State Department and uh, a number of... Uh, 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 policy specialists tried to talk her out of it. Um, we know Biden wasn't happy about it. It's not good for Biden at this time. He's putting together some uh, pretty good victories uh, legislatively. Um, but this um, episode, not even one day uh, was she there. And I think it's taken the spotlight off of a lot of good things that are happening for Biden and the Democrats. Her, he could not have stopped her from visiting Taiwan. Um, there's actually legislation that um, explicitly permits high-level meetings between uh, Taiwanese and American officials. And in 2018, that was passed. And as a citizen, she's permitted to travel. The problem, though, is that it sends a mixed signal. A mixed signal that is that the U.S. is not uh, speaking with one voice when it comes to foreign policy. And of course, the policy is that uh, the U.S. does not recognize Taiwan as a separate um, a state from China. Um, but when you're uh, third in line or second in line person for the president uh, visits the capital and the pr uh, prime minister, it obviously sends a signal that, you know, in a sense, they are recognizing Taiwan. So, um, you know, uh, now on, on I have to say for Pelosi, she spent 30 years um, criticizing China. Uh, she's been very consistent about their human rights record. Uh, she was almost arrested in Beijing in 1991 uh, at Tiananmen Square. You know, she has the bona fides when it comes to um, uh, supporting, you know, human rights in China, meeting with the Dalai Lama, um, speaking out about Hong Kong. Uh, the problem is uh, the, the timing and uh, what it means to China.
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Paul Hamilton, Associate Professor of Political Science at Brock University. We're talking about the strained relations between the United States and China. And now to the impact here in Canada. Is there any? Well, it's um, it doesn't make anything easier because, of course, our number one alliance uh, is with the United States. So we're sort of pulled into this anyway, just like Australia and South Korea, Philippines, Japan, um, we do have a peculiar problem because we don't have an ambassador in China now and haven't since uh, the end of last year. So um, we don't even have that kind of uh, level of connection. And then, of course, we've had our own problems with the two Michaels and with uh, Huawei and um, various other sort of uh, uh, conflicts with uh, with China. So, um yeah, it, and and it, all this is happening, of course, at the same time as the war in Ukraine. And this is really important because uh, China is watching very carefully the West's response to Ukraine. And I think ultimately that will guide the way they, they deal with this uh, Taiwanese episode. We'll be uh, watching it. Paul, appreciate your uh, insight into this issue and enjoy the rest of the day. Sure. Thank you very much. That's Paul Hamilton, Associate Professor of Political Science at Brock University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We already know that certain foods are not good for your health, right? Yet we still eat things that raise a risk of obesity and heart disease, diabetes, cancer. There's now a new study out that shows eating ultra-processed foods may contribute to overall cognitive decline. The study was presented last week at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in San Diego. It followed more than 10,000 people in Brazil for up to 10 years. And what researchers found was that men and women who ate the most ultra-processed foods had a 28% faster rate of global cognitive decline and a 25% faster rate of executive function decline compared with people who ate the least amount of overly-processed foods food. We should be eating better. How do we get there? Richard Fast is the author of Obesity Cause and Cure and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Richard, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Maybe we'll start with the the baseline data in terms of what the heck is an ultra-processed food? What are some of the items in the grocery stores that would fit that category? Yeah, well, in, in the stores, we've got basically two kinds of food. There's real food, uh, and then there's ultra-processed food. And what's the difference? Well, real food is anything that's in its natural state. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, fruit, vegetables, uh, a, a whole list of, uh, uh, it could be cheese, meat, seafood, eggs, poultry. So that's real food, things that are in its natural state. Then we switch over to ultra-processed food. That is something that has been altered, chemically altered. Uh, and you can easily identify this stuff. I'll give you three simple ways. One, it'll always come in brightly colored packages declaring its healthful benefits. And then it will have an expiry date that's so far into the future, it can only be done with an advanced chemistry set. And then the last thing is that it will, it will always um, it, it will have, a, have an expiry date, and um, it's totally, um, you can recognize it by the fact that uh, uh, it, it, it's got, a, it's got a, a list of ingredients that you cannot pronounce and that the human body is not biologically equipped to eat. 
So this would be your boxed uh, macaroni and cheese. Would would canned beans and corn fit in that category as well? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. It's it's it, it really comes down to the how much how much chemical uh, alteration the big companies do, mm-hmm. and they alter this. The alterations they do, are, it's designed really to do two things. They want it. They purposely strip out the nutrients, they strip out the protein, fiber, minerals, and that's all designed to make us eat more. But also involved in that is as soon as you are nutrient, your body senses starvation, which it does because it's not getting any nutrients, it drives us to eat more. And then, of course, they, it's also highly addictive, and that is, boils down to the, the combination of, of fat, salt, and sugar, and, of course, flavor enhancers. So it's probably not real surprising when we look at the stats. In Brazil, ultra-processed foods make up 30% of the total calorie intake. Those numbers rise substantially when you go to the U.S., where it's 58%. It's 57% in Britain, and here in Canada, that's 48%. 48% of our calorie intake, nearly half, is from ultra-processed foods. Those stats are worrisome. Rick, you've nailed the numbers, and yes, they are crazy. I, you know, short of swallowing actual poison, it's hard to imagine how we could eat a worse diet than the one that we're eating. And, and really, all of our health problems, our major health, health problems, stem from this, and, and I like what you touched on, too. It is more than just, uh, you know, than obesity, i.e. the physical part of it. It is affecting us cognitively in a massive way. And, and, and exactly the way you opened, opened by saying that is, it, it, it's, it's alarming. So how do we break this cycle? You mentioned these ultra-processed foods are addictive. How do we stay away from them? Well, you know, the solution, you're going to love it. It's actually totally stress-free. You know, people always try to, you know, we all want to lose excess fat. Okay, fine. So what do we do? We go on a diet. But that's, the, a diet is actually so illogical it cannot work because you can't starve a body and expect it to do anything but things you don't want it to do so coming back to the question how do we how do we break this ultra processed food you know it's as i said the solution is so simple it's stress-free and it's delicious all we need to do is eat real food see when we don't eat real food um, and most of us really don't know what it's like to eat a total diet of real food, but all of a sudden when you do, you have that delicious feeling of satiety, of fullness. Um, and, and, and also, you're, you know, when we eat this, this hyper-palatable sugar stuff, we really lose our sense of what real food should taste like. And it doesn't take long. Within about 10 days of eating real food, everything will change. Your hunger hormones will change. Uh, your satiety, your, your taste buds change, you will, start losing, you will start losing excess fat. You know, here's the thing. A properly nourished body, and this is what I really want people to understand, is, is why dieting is so ludicrous. A properly nourished body will automatically shed excess fat. It will do that automatically. And I can tell you that from personal experience of the people I work with, as well as the gold standard studies. So that is what happens. We can't starve a body and expect anything to happen. So the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing is that when we eat real food, um, and I kind of touched on that earlier, what is it? It's fruit, vegetables, meat, cheese, eggs, poultry, seafood, red meat, wine, cheese. Like, 
what else do we want? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a pretty good menu. Richard, we'll have to leave it there. I do want to encourage our listeners to head over to your website, richardfast.com. Check out his book as well, Obesity Cause and Cure. Richard, appreciate the time today and enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks. Same to you. That's Richard Fast. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is another very special event that's not happening in our community, but there are some people from our community who will be participating, and that is the 54th International Children's Games happening August 11th to the 16th in Coventry, England. And there's about 20 athletes or so from this city who are going to be going overseas to compete. Ed Dunn is the president of the Hamilton chapter of the International Children's Games, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ed, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm fine, thank you. Anyone who is not familiar with the International Children's Games, what are they all about? Is this a is this an Olympics for kids? Well, actually, it's very similar to Olympics for kids. It's uh, for ages 12 to 15, and instead of it being from country, it's from uh, cities of the different countries involved. Okay, so how many kids from Hamilton are taking part, and what are they going to be doing in England? Actually, there's 18 And there's going to be a girls' swimming team, uh, boys' tennis and girls' tennis, and a girls' soccer team. All right. And are these elite athletes, are they on the cusp of going to uh, a Pan Am Games or an Olympic Games? Yeah. In fact, uh, a lot of them have in the past because this has been around since, well, I've been involved with it for over 20 years. And the beginning of the game started back in 1968 in actually uh, Slovenia. The games were actually started to promote peace and understanding between uh, young people. Yeah, it's sounds- very, very much needed these days. Absolutely. It sounds like it's a really kind of family oriented event. How much spare time do these athletes have to explore their surroundings? Well, we normally try to, especially going such a distance, uh, we normally try to go uh, a day or two ahead of time uh, before the game, so we give a chance for them to tour. So we're going to do a little touring in London before we get to Coventry. That is pretty cool. Ed Dunn is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Dunn is the president of the Hamilton chapter of the International Children's Games. They are being held in Coventry, England, the 54th edition from August 11th to the 16th. And I understand that uh, this year's games is focusing on sustainability and a carbon neutral world, which is, I'm sure the young kids are going to be hyped about that. Oh, yes, very much so. You know, it's amazing because these young people really show how we can get along with each other without any uh, difficulty at all. And they make good friends and those friends continue over the years. And some of these athletes, as you know, will become Olympic stars. Uh, There's a couple right now that have uh, done very well at Flint, Michigan. Uh, it, it, it just is, it's a wonderful opportunity for young people, especially to go at their age to go to international games. What are the expectations in terms of medals and, and all that? Is there is there a lot of pressure on these kids to perform? Uh, no, we try we try to indicate to them that the best thing for them to do is to do their best, and that's all we ask of them. If we happen to win a gold medal or silver or bronze, that's wonderful. But we don't say that that's the the, the end all, uh, to be all sort of thing. 
uh, we we are sort of emphasizing the fact that going there and meeting other young people from other parts of the world is is very important and friendship is very important. As we know, Hamilton is in line to host the 2030 Commonwealth Games. Uh, these children who are you know, between the ages of 12 and 15, as you mentioned, in eight years from now, they may be participating in those Commonwealth Games. How cool would that be? That would be wonderful. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in the future, that's for sure. Is anything from these games being taken from an organizational or scheduling standpoint being uh, looked at or adopted or investigated for when we do uh, host the Commonwealth Games? Well, I think that there are, for instance, we have uh, an individual, uh, Greg Maycheck and Mark Wu, who are on our committee that also are involved with the Commonwealth Games. So they're very much involved with that and... Uh, and, of course, we try to coordinate some of the information that we have uh, with Commonwealth Games as well. Will you be able to uh, partake in the Commonwealth Games that are going on in Birmingham, or are, you, or are you just going to miss that? Oh, yeah. We're not going to be involved with that because we're leaving actually tonight, and we come back uh, a week from today uh, in connection with uh, the Games ourselves because we're, we're just totally involved with the the International Children's Games in Coventry. But there will be some Birmingham uh, representatives, I think, that will be uh, looking at our games as well. Well, Ed, we wish uh, you and the team nothing but the best in Coventry, England. Uh, I know you'll be making Hamilton proud at the event. Best of luck and uh, safe travels as well. Thank you, Rick. Nice to talk to you. That is Ed Dunn, International Children's Game President of the Hamilton Chapter. As you mentioned, uh, 18 athletes from Hamilton uh, competing in swimming, tennis, and girls' soccer in Coventry, England. And there's about 1,500 participants in total at this year's game. So it should be a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll have some uh, medals to be won, but most importantly, some great experiences to be had for those children involved. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Coming up later on today on 900 CHML, a new talk show is going to debut. It runs from 12 until 3, and it's going to be hosted by our next guest, veteran broadcaster Kelly Catrera, joins us here on 900 CHML. Kelly, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Did we have to start with veteran? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make you feel you old. You could have but... said... Uh... A youthful, Se effervescent, <laughs> fun-loving, oh, I got veteran. Um, you must be crazy excited about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Hamilton. I've lived in Hamilton several times. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. It's like a homecoming for me. I actually, my second job in radio was at Y95 in Hamilton when I was a uh, young broadcaster. How and where did you get your first start? Out in Victoria in BC. Um, and I had gone to Ryerson University, which is now called Metropolitan, uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. Yeah. I'd gone there for radio and television arts and I had focused on TV, but a friend of mine who was focusing on radio was convinced that no, I would be wasted in TV. So maybe I should come <laughs> over uh, to, as he called it, the dark side. And he called me up. He was working in Victoria and said, look, I think, I think you'd be good. Why don't you come and work at this oldie station? So I did. Victoria kind of sounds cool to get your first start. 
Yeah, it was very WKRP. It was in the bottom of a an old hotel that was that hosted like a dive bar that had a karaoke above it 24 <laughs> seven. Nice. And uh, it was mayhem. Honestly, I, I've often thought, okay, well, if uh, if this doesn't work out, I can write a show about that because it was insane. So after work, you you headed upstairs to the karaoke bar? I will not confirm nor deny. <laughs> I heard that you once worked in Dublin, Ireland. I did, yeah. Uh, my mother is from uh, Ireland, so I got my passport. I always wanted to travel. Um, I spoke about it a lot, even when I worked in, in Hamilton on, uh, on Y95. I would just always talk about like when we were playing bands from other places. I was always interested in their background, so I would kind of go into the British bands a little deeper and you know the bands from... Uh, across the pond uh, and back sell them that way, which is a fancy way of saying just talk about them mm -hmm. after you play the music. Um, but yeah, I, I lived in Dublin for a while. I wanted to travel around and I uh, brought a little cassette tape back in the day of um, my radio days, just in case things went uh, went south for me. And I, had, I obtained my Irish passport. So I'm an, a citizen of the EU as well. So I could work anywhere. And um yeah, I got stuck for money. So I just walked in and, and they hired me as a, a comedy writer for a morning show before I was on air. That is pretty cool. What should listeners know about you that other people don't? Um, I think I'm pretty much an open book. You know, I don't really hide too much. It, you're going to get a straight shooter. Uh, we're going to have some fun. I like to put together with my producers the show that I think I would really like to listen to. And I think that's the best way I can serve everybody. Because I think if I'm getting bored, then you're getting bored. So um, I just think it's a straight shooter. If I if I tell you something, it's, it's straight from the gut and it's honest. It's the way to go. And we'll be eagerly anticipating the first and many other episodes to come. Noon to three right here on 900 CHML. Kelly, welcome to the clan once again and uh, have fun with it. Thanks so much. I hope you like what I'm wearing. That is Kelly Cotrera, host of the all-new Kelly Cotrera Show, weekdays noon to 3 right here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The subject matter of this segment might get your blood boiling. If you're a Tiger Cats fan, especially. Because like Britney Spears said, oops, I did it again. Was she talking about the 2022 Ticats? Dane Evans, back to pass, has to roll to his right, has Don Jackson to his right, but throws over the middle. He was looking for Jake Bird. It's picked off by Chris Edwards, the 20, the 15, the 10. It is a touchdown. Chris Edwards, the pick six for Toronto with a minute 48 to go. That's RJ Broadhead. The call on the Ticats Audio Network in 900 CHML. How many of you are singing Oop? I did it again. Yes, this is the Ticats anthem of 2022 because it seems game in and game out, they're doing the exact same thing. Playing a good first half, having a halftime lead, and then blowing it in the second half. And it happened again Saturday night at BMO Field. And Chris Edwards, who just heard the highlight from the Argos, sealing the deal with that pick six in Toronto's come-from-behind 34-20 win over Hamilton. Another game, another game in which the Ticats blew a second-half lead and lost. They were up 14-6 at the half, and they ended up losing big time. Hamilton now 2-6 and six on the season. They're now four points behind the Argonauts in the CFL's East Division. Now, yeah, there's still a long way to go. They've played eight games. There's ten more to go including three more in the next four weeks 
against Toronto. The other one is against Montreal in that set, all culminating with Ticats Argos on Labor Day. But starting the season two and six in a year where you're coming off your second consecutive Grey Cup appearance, fans, I think, were anticipating a much better record. I know I was. Speaking of those fans, they called in droves once again to the fifth quarter on 900 CHML, and obviously they were not happy, including Dave in Burlington who said, you know what, the offense is just not clicking. Something has to give with our offensive play calling in the second half. I I just don't see any adjustments being made, Um, and I really see a disconnect, I think, between Dane Evans and Tommy Kendall. Um, You made a very excellent comment. You know, we had great yardage on first down a lot of times in the second half and then when it's second and 10 we're throwing five yard passes i mean i really think coach o is going to have to make a tough decision i don't think harvey jones was brought in just to be a consultant like i'm not i've never been a fan of tommy condell i've called in many times to the show i think he's a i just don't think he's a very good offensive coordinator by the way there was there was a lot of similar names being tossed about whether it's offensive coordinator tommy condell most fans want to see him gone Uh, you'll hear head coach orlando steinauer's name over the next few clips as well some want him gone i i I just don't see it i don't think that's the move that this ticats team should make dane evans another name that you can hear a lot of in this segment, including Dave and Grimsby, who says Hamilton needs better quarterbacking. Coaches are going to get fired, whether it's Condell, whether it's Steinauer, you know, Kari Jones there. He can be an offensive coordinator. He can be a head coach. The offense had plenty of opportunity in the first half to score touchdowns, and they didn't. That's on Dane. He made bad plays. All the way up the field, he made great reads. And you get into the red zone, and he goes two deep balls to Dunbar. Neither one of them, he was wide open. Later in the game, on a second and four, he went deep, deep to Dunbar when he was double covered. Dane has more reads than just Dunbar. He has more reads. He can throw the ball elsewhere. This isn't on Condell. I'm sorry. This game, at least, isn't on Condell. Dane did not make good. You also got a call on the fifth quarter Saturday night from Scott in Enfield, Nova Scotia. This is the Ticats simply crumble in crunch time. There's another problem here, which is the the collapse of the team in in the third and fourth quarters, which has happened repeatedly. And I think we start, need to start talking about is Steinauer, I, I think he lacks a killer instinct. And I think the team lacks a killer instinct, that there's, there's something where um, there's a lack of leadership to keep the foot on the gas, to, to, to keep pushing, you know, they've, they've, they've blown so many leads and it's just, it, it, it makes no sense. Also got a call from Todd in Hamilton on the fifth quarter Saturday night following Hamilton's 34-20 loss against Toronto. And he says the Ticats need a new vision on offense. I've called in before and I keep saying the same thing and I'm going to keep saying it until hopefully somebody actually listens and does it. But I think we need to get rid of Tommy Condell. Um, his offense is very boring. I, I mean, other than the running game, that seems to be we're getting something's happening there. But other than that, it's very predictable. Um, I think we need to get rid of him like, immediately. So over and over and over again, Ticats fans calling for change, especially at the offensive coordinator position. And Chris in Hamilton, no difference, saying that, yes, yeah, something has to happen. We've seen a lot of Tommy Condell. 
I mean, it, it's run its course. I think he's predictable, questionable decisions, running in shotgun on second and short. It just it, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. I think, like someone else said, he's he's hard headed. Uh, you know, it just it just doesn't work anymore. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing uh, would be Kahari Jones in for Tommy Condell. And Dave from Stony Creek also called in and said, coaching overall is the problem. I think the coaching is a huge problem with this team. I think it begins and ends there. I think, uh, I don't know, you're not going to repeat what everybody says, but, you know, these, this play calling on uh, offense is just brutal. And it seems like when the defense needs to make adjustments, they can't do it. Um, you know, the game was, you know, they let this game get away. It was theirs. And they let Arkansas hang around. But the biggest problem is early on they couldn't get the ball in the end zone because of stupid play calling. And they had to settle for field goals. Really need to take a hard, hard look at things. And, uh, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. There you go. Some of the calls, some of the sentiment from Saturday's fifth quarter after the Tiger Cats fell 34-20 against Toronto. They will do it all again this Friday night at 7.30 this time at Tim Hortons Field as the 4-3 and three Argos visit the 2-6 and six Tiger Cats. And boy, oh boy, I cannot imagine what the fifth quarter is going to sound like if the Tiger Cats do not win that game. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.